Hello and welcome in. This is the podcast Builder versus Buyer, and I'm the host, Adam Steiner. As always, I am live on TikTok, um, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and LinkedIn. If you're jumping on, thanks for joining me. Um, put a question in the comments. That was my Alexa telling me either something has been discounted or something has been delivered. So thank you, robots. Um, so today's podcast sponsored by the ultimate room layout guide. So one of the biggest stressors in any building project is deciding on a layout or worse yet, picking the wrong layout altogether. All the back and forth wastes everyone's time and money, but we don't have to reinvent the wheel. I've condensed 20 years of my residential design experience into one power pack resource, the ultimate room layout guide. It has over 40 expertly designed rooms so that you can save time and money dialing in your layouts. Borrow from it, use it to guide conversations or give you new ideas. The layouts show both luxury options that won't break the bank, but also economical options for tight spaces. It's available in two forms, PDF for viewing and DWG for direct download. Get it now at roomlayoutguide.com. So people that are on, this is a podcast, Builder versus Buyer. And <clears throat> the goal of it is just educate people on the building process. So those of you on TikTok, let me know if you can hear me. Um, throw me an emoji in the chat or let me know where you're, you're watching from um, either way. But if you're here and you have a question on the home building industry, floor plans, um, design and selections, I would be more than happy to answer those. That's literally exactly why I'm here. Um, so giving you a couple life updates. Um, ooh, somebody from Florida jumping in. That's awesome. Um, glad you're here. So I just went to Austin, Texas, um, and got to visit some sites for a builder I'm working with down there. So, um, I went and walked the entire subdivision, um, all that's being built in that subdivision as well as got to sneak in one model home down there, which is kind of cool. It, the subdivision was in Waco, um, not in Austin, but exciting got to see some stuff interesting things about texas so everything is slab on grade at least in this market um all the floors are floor trusses and then all the roofs are stick built which is kind of weird because usually when you're using trusses with for the floor you use roof trusses as well but they stick build everything um so just one of those little things to note like know your market because those things i'm talking about stuff like this all the time but those things affect how you design and how your floor plan lays out so try and um try and pay attention to that kind of stuff um also stylistically there was like a lot more um it didn't really look as southwesty as i thought there was a lot of painted brick um a lot of arches the black windows were still popular, but it had a, a French country slash colonial influence to a lot of the homes there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. A, um, a fun trip. Um, again, for those of you on TikTok, if you have any questions, just drop them in the chat window down there. Um, I will do my best to answer those. Um, I'm usually on for about 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and yeah, just love to help out where I can. Um, any recommendations? I got a question right here, right now. Any recommendations for work a homeowner can do on a build to save a new to save costs, flooring, IKEA kitchen, etc. Um, as as much as you are comfortable with 
you can try and you can ask. Um, typically, I would lean toward the cosmetic things or the exterior things that aren't attached to the house. So we're talking patios. I mean, a deck is technically attached to the house, but it is relatively easy to do later. So exterior things like that. Patios, decks, landscaping, and then cosmetic things. Flooring is a good one. Um, you know, trim, um, some stuff like that. It, it's tricky though. So builders hate when clients do their own work for the project because it, it really screws with the schedule and the pricing. And um, there's a lot that goes into it. Like a builder should have a really dialed in schedule for how long your project is going to take. And so if they're taking out their normal flooring contractor and putting you there instead, um, there's a lot of jostling they have to do and a lot of trust they have to take um, that you can get the flooring done, done in the same amount of days that the flooring contractor can. And usually you can't, you know, you most people have jobs. It's hard to um, just call off for four straight days and finish all the flooring in your house or whatever. Um so that's why a lot of builders will, one of the many reasons, you know, licensing and bonding is another thing, depending on your city or county, that can get tricky. So it is kind of hard to do um, in a new construction build. I would say if you are, um, if you really are dead set on it and are pretty skilled at it, um, your best bet is probably a smaller builder. Um, the bigger the builder, the the more likely the answer will be no that you can't do that kind of work. Um, and I mean, let's be frank, how desperate the builder is um, can have a big a big sway on that as well. Like it's something I would ask early if you're dead set on. Um, but again, it's, it's just kind of tricky um, to see, you know, any, any of that stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that. Um, Ikea Kitchen is an interesting one. Um, I have never done one in a new build. I had a friend do an Ikea kitchen and it turned out awesome. Um, the Ikea hardware is actually really, really nice. The, the end panels and like the actual wood they use is, is relatively cheap. It's a lot of laminate stuff. Um, but the hardware they use is really solid. So it's, it's, um, it can be a really cool kitchen. I, I've never seen a home builder use it though in a, residential application um i'm sure there's a lot with ordering that they had to do like this this person was really hands-on and like really sharp with all the stuff and, and it worked out but it's not it's not magic like most of the reasons that um home builders use local cabinet companies is because they they figure out about a lot of that stuff for them so they most cabinet companies have somebody that will come out and measure um, right after your house is framed so that the cabinets fit exactly. They have somebody, um, usually the same person, but they have somebody that will um, meet with the clients and actually design and lay out those cabinets. Um, so it's kind of like a, a hands-off thing for the builder to use a local cabinet company. Whereas I imagine using someone like Ikea, I know they have some of those things, but using someone like Ikea would be tricky um, to really dial in all that stuff but yeah thanks for the question um thanks for jumping on here anything else feel free to let me know um for those of you that don't know um i 
whatever channel you're watching on or listening, I post a lot to TikTok. I've started posting a lot more to YouTube as well. Um, so that's another channel you can get me. Um, and then a lot of stuff goes to Instagram as well, but I don't post as much there. That's a good way to get in touch with me if you have like a specific project or really specific question. Um, got a question here. Where are you from? You keep coming up on my For You page. I design homes in Georgia. Well, hey, um, that's awesome. I am in Indiana. Um, and yeah, let me know about your your homes you design and stuff. If you have any questions or any comments on the design process, hit me up. Um, got another question here. Good group so far. What's your opinion on building for privacy? Does it cost more? I'm not a fan of street facing windows unless they are clear story. Um, good question. So it depends a lot on the home site itself, but really the floor plan. Um, most subdivisions are designed to be garage forward. Like we just, um, the land is getting smaller and smaller, like as, as developers are developing, um, which is a whole nother discussion that I won't get into. But um, so typically you're going to have your garage facing the street, which leaves not a ton of room to make the house like look nice. So you really want to maximize it with windows. So it, I can see your point here in that you're kind of fighting that that front space, especially on the first floor for most of the plans you're looking at, have that two or three car garage and then have a lot of big windows on the front because they want to balance the garage out um, with floor plan area. Um, I would say if you want to sacrifice in width, so make your home narrower to do a side load garage, I think that helps a ton. Um, because then you have a lot of natural built-in privacy um, that your garage is affording you. And then I would also recommend um, with, with that side load garage, you can do a room like an office up front, but like you mentioned, do like a, a clear story or a higher up window along that front wall. Um, so something that doesn't need an egress window like a um, bedroom, you know, not a bedroom there. Um, would be a good way. So then that's the only piece of your home that's toward the front of the house. Um, or maybe it's a mud laundry area that's toward the front um, with a window, but to put, it's impossible to put everything to the back. I know most people want to, um, to have the good views and things, um, but just structurally it's impossible, you know, geometry wise, like something is going to be on the front of the home. Um, so it's, it's, it's tricky. Let me know if you have any other specific questions on privacy. Um, it's tough without seeing a layout as well. Um, but yeah, just shooting from the hip. That's what I, that's what I would recommend. Um, let's see here. What else we got? Um, looking around. So today is the first day. Usually when I prep these, I um, have like three or four topics in my back pocket in case the questions aren't coming in fast enough or like, um, let's be honest, no one's asking questions. Um, so I will just rip from, from a list I've got pre-prepared. And tonight I was like, you know what? I'm not going to write the list. We're just going to jump on live and see what happens. So now I am, this is what they call it, the business stalling for time. Um, 
actually really don't know if anyone calls it that or not, but that's what's happening. Um, let's see here. I had a couple posts recently that would probably be um, good to go over. So a couple of things. Um, I just did a film series with it with a friend um, and we walked a house and tried to do a bunch of tip videos and stuff. Um, and one thing, a couple things to check just in case you want to see like what kind of quality a builder is doing, not necessarily quality, but just how much they care about getting stuff right. Um, I posted, it's one of my more recent posts about the door swing. So making sure I would just go around in a model home. If you have the chance to check the amount of play that's there when the door is closed, when it's latched, like, is it, is it shutting solidly? Does it jiggle when you, when you pull on it? Um, check all four sides of the door to see that the reveal is the same between the door and the trim. The distance should be the same um, every, every way. And then I would make sure it doesn't rub on the carpet. Uh, just little things like that. Um, oh, hey, got another question in here. How much is courtyard entry cost on average versus front load garage? Um, specific costs are tough for me because it's been a couple of years since I've actually like um, seen and done, done a budget with a builder. Um, as I started my own company, I haven't done as much or seen the numbers um, as much for builders. Um, so, but what you have in costs, um, I can just break it down for you to see if your builder is shooting you straight or not. So typically with a courtyard garage versus a front load garage, you have a longer shape protruding from the house, right? So you will have a little bit more exterior wall. So more siding, more studs, more linear feet of foundation. Um, and not necessarily more roof, but you might have more softened fascia. You might have more gutters. Um, so keep all that in mind, right? If you have a three car that's butted up against the house front load, um, that whole back wall can be, you know, next to the house. Whereas if you turn it, only two cars, of that wall is now ne next to the house, right? Um, also, typically, if a front load garage usually just has garage doors and maybe an accent window and a gable or something, but if you side load or courtyard garage, now the front face is doesn't have a garage door on it, and it feels awkward to just leave that as empty wall space most of the time. So I end up usually adding an, an um, a window or some other accent material um, to like play with that from a design perspective. So those usually end up costing more money. And then the last thing I'll say is um, the driveway. So you have a lot more area of driveway, you know, compacted sand or stone, whatever your market's using. And then um, the concrete is a lot more obviously straight shot to the house versus all the side load area. Um, you may be able to do the math on that and figure out what all that stuff is. Um, it's, it's tough to say because uh, it could be so, so different between markets. Um, courtyard is hard to blow snow off living in a colder region. Another comment from a viewer. Yeah, that's actually a great point. So um, my driveway in Minnesota was North facing and it is real. Like it's, it's the last thing to melt in the subdivision, you know? So, um, because it's, it's covered in shade most of the day. So if you have a courtyard garage, your odds of it being covered in shade a lot of the day are pretty high because it's covered fully by two sides. So, um, 
I hope I can include you in a conversation on a future home build. You sure can. Um, best way to get in touch is probably Instagram or email on my website. Um, and Instagram is my same handle as on TikTok. It's at Burnham Design Co. Um, love your expert opinion on some of the designs of the plan. So I actually do a floor plan review service that's on my website as well um, for for people that are in that process. Cause I realized there's, it's something that people want a second opinion on. Um, I'm not here to like rip apart any other designer architects work. Just make sure everything's thought through. Um, Oh, Carmel, Indiana. Sorry. Reading comments. Um, yeah, I have family down that way. Um, that's awesome. What state am I in? I am in Indiana. Um, plan to build in Duluth, Minnesota. So I actually lived in Cottage Grove, Minnesota for a little while. So I'm definitely familiar with Minnesota builds and that Minnesota market. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's a fun one. Um, Duluth would be awesome. And Carmel. Uh, so yeah, hit me up if you guys are wanting to, to design any houses. Those are both very cool places. Duluth, by the way, not floor plan related, but Duluth is a sneaky, awesome city. Um, it's, I bet it'd be brutal in the winters and living up in Minnesota, we got kind of used to the winters. Um, me to even the point where I liked them. Um, but the Duluth in the summer is really cool. You're right on the lake there. There's a ton of awesome little shops and restaurants and stuff to do. And yeah, it's a neat place. Underrated. Um, Carmel's pretty cool too. Um, if you want to drive through roundabouts, go to Carmel, Indiana. They have them all. I don't think there's a non-roundabout intersection in that city, actually. <laughs> uh, geeking, I love geeking out over floor plans. Yes, 100%. I would geek out over floor plans for sure. Um, I don't know if I'm planning on going down to Carmel uh, anytime soon. Um, love the Carmel roundabouts, says this user. Actually, um, so we don't have many here. I'm in Indiana, when we lived in Minnesota, they kind of, uh, Minnesota definitely has more roundabouts than here, um, the Twin Cities area. And they kind of grew on me. Like, I, I get it now. Um, when I first went down to Carmel, I was like, this is a mess. Why would anybody do this? There's like roundabouts attached to roundabouts. Um, but I'm, I've, I've been swayed. Um, you've convinced me. Uh, they're pretty solid. So, yeah. Um, any other questions from the viewers on there? Let me know. Um, another thing I posted for the podcast listeners that don't watch the TikToks, um, there was a question on a Facebook group um, that I follow about, should I tell um, my builder my budget? And here's my opinion on it. Um, I would say, yes, definitely do it. Please do it, actually. Um, just do me the favor of telling your builder your budget. Because... What I think the fear is that, oh, if I tell my builder my budget, they're going to spend all my money. Um, and in reality, your um, desires and your wish list is well beyond what your budget can afford anyway. So to, to hide your budget from your builder, usually what happens is um, usually what happens is the client will walk in and design a home with either a designer or an architect and then send it to a bunch of builders to build. Well, if the builders don't know the, those budget numbers and the, 
there are designers and architects that have a decent feel for pricing, but I do this every single day. I've worked in the industry almost 20 years, 10, 15 of those were working for builders, working in pricing operations, and still I don't feel confident about telling clients numbers. So if there are architects and designers out there that do say they're confident in telling you numbers, they better have a darn good resume is what I'm saying. So um, to just trust your designer architect in the numbers is risky. I would say it's risky. It's, it's possible. They know more than me. Um, and there are definitely people out there that do. Um, but it's entirely possible that they, they don't, or they're guessing, or it's just a wide range. So when you're trusting them to guide you on the budget and then the builders get back um, after you send it out to bid and the builders get the bids back, all those are going to be well past your budget anyway. So you might as well have communicated the number. So I, my strategy is always get everybody on the same page, get the builder involved in the meetings early. If your budget is whatever, let's say a million dollars, tell your builder, tell your designer or architect and say, okay, this is the goal. And here's what we'd like how we'd like to hit it. Um, and they can put you on the rails and guide you through that process. So in that, um, yeah, so this is similar to a design build. Um, this is how I, like almost all my clients are builders. So I'm kind of like a multi-firm design build operator. And if it, if I get a client out of my market that doesn't have a builder yet, that's like one of my first questions like, Hey, we should start talking to builders, um, and get them on, on board here. Um, so yeah, I, I would recommend because what happens is you design this great house, it's over budget, and then you have to start chopping stuff. And it's usually the, the stuff that's easiest to chop. So like big hunks of square footage and selection budgets and, um, you know, the, the big cool features that you really wanted, like the, statement front door, let's say as an example, whereas, um, that's just one of the things that's easy to chop because we can sub in another door and save you four grand or whatever it ends up being. But if you had told everybody ahead of time and also mentioned the statement front door is really something we really want in this plan, <clears throat> we can design around that and factor it in so much earlier to the design process, um, to where it's, we're, all working toward the same goal instead of just flailing around. Um, yeah. So that's what I'd say. Um, Ice Wallow on, I don't know, platform you're on. YouTube. Hey, yes, you can get a high there. Sorry, my chat was hidden on this other window. So um, another question. How do you, what do you use to cut wall sections? Um, so I use all AutoCAD. Um, I work with an associate um, who does a lot of drawings for me and uses Revit. Um, so Revit cutting a section, you're just adding a view. It's super easy. And then you're annotating it later. Um, for AutoCAD, it's actually not that much work. I think people think it's more work than it is. But um, I take the floor plan, you know, turn it to whatever angle the section is, and then just draw lines down. Um, lines for the foundation wall, um, and then any interior, exterior bearing walls. And then I'm offsetting based on um, what I know the construction of that house to be. So you'll need to know the joist size and type, um, the exterior wall thicknesses, um, the 
roof framing type trusses or stick built um, rafters. Um, yeah. Oh, got another question here. I'm having a heck of a time figuring out how to design a rear entry garage and still have some yard. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, that's a really tough one. You could consider tandem bays. Um, I'm guessing with a rear entry garage, you probably have a, a alley loaded lot. Um, you probably don't have a ton of lot width. Sometimes I've offset the garage and the house, right? Um, so that the full garage bay isn't sitting on the back wall of the house, which helps some. Um, but usually in rear load plans, you're also factoring that you just need to put more stuff on the front of the house. Um, I would do a covered front porch, you know, because it's going to give some more privacy, but it might mean your main living area or, or dining room is on that front wall facing out. Um, you have more of like a shotgun style along the, along the side there. It's just, um, yeah, really tough. So narrow lot alley loaded 59 foot lot. Um, yeah, that's just not a lot of space. If you want 24 feet or 20 feet is on the really narrow side for a two car garage. Um, it doesn't leave you a ton of space to play with it. So if you're open to tandem bays, that can be cool. Um, I know it functionally, it's not as great as a full two car. Um, but yeah, it is. Those lots are tricky. Um, another thing I've seen a lot is to like either detach or separate with just a breezeway or mudroom area. So you have more of an enclosed yard. So the garage, take the garage off the back wall of the home, move it back almost all the way to your building line on the backside, and then do anywhere from a six to eight foot wide walkway between your garage and the house that's either um, covered but unfinished like a breezeway or finish it like a mudroom. And that could be your mudroom and laundry room area um, in the plan or mudroom dog shower, all that stuff um, that can help make a little bit more alcove and you have some more views. You're still going to see the garage though. There's no getting around that. Um, what is the general industry standard time frame to draw out biddable usable plans and blueprints? Um, ooh, another great question. I, I don't know that I've seen a specific industry standard. Um, I will say people don't have a great estimation on it. So I try and turn around everything in about two weeks. Um, but I usually have a first draft and then up to three revisions. So that's two months right there. And that's even if we're going kind of quick um, and simple revisions. And then from there, I will usually take another two weeks to do construction documents, which is, you know, that, that can be bid off of that can you can pull a permit with those. Um, and so that takes another couple of weeks. So you're looking at if we were flying, we could get it done in eight weeks. I've done it with builders quicker, but builders, because they've done this a lot, like a builder for a model home, for example, um, because they've done this a lot and really know what they want. Um, and I've got a relationship with them. So we're, we're speaking the same language we can really fly and go really fast and get it done in three to four weeks, even if, if needed. Um, but that's not typical. And what I find is a lot of people don't have all their ideas yet. Like they need to see the floor plan 
before they realized they didn't like X, Y, and Z. You know, it's never, I don't, I don't think you're ever going to get all the information out of that first meeting. Um, and you know, little just stuff comes up where you, where you see a bed placed on that floor plan in your room and you're like, Oh no, I was thinking the bed would go this wall. Well, if the bed goes that wall, we have to move this, this, and this, you know, and I think people just need the, that time to process the plans and, and do those revisions. So yeah, it's a two way street, but, um, that's typically what I, what I see. Um, I don't love dealing with people that want more than like a six month design process because I feel like opinions and life just changes too much in that window. And I'll just be doing revisions for forever. Um, so if, if people are really far out on when they want to build, I usually will kind of pump the brakes on projects like that. Um, yeah, hope that answers your question. Looking to redesign my master bath. Thoughts on having a toilet against an exterior wall in Massachusetts. Um, you're totally fine, actually. All that plumbing goes through the floor, um, so nothing will need to be on an exterior wall. I actually kind of like toilets on an exterior wall because you can do a window right above. Um, get some fresh air in there, natural light, and all that. Um, and I prefer a window above a toilet versus a vanity or shower. Both those operations are trickier. Vanity, especially because you need space for mirrors and all that. Um, so yeah, I, I would say go for it. Um, almost all my plans have toilets on exterior walls in some shape or form. Um, any insights on a basement under garage using precast cost effective or not really? Um, it's not super cost effective, but it's also not crazy. Um, I would only do it though. Typically in these homes, people have more basement space than they really need. Um, but if you're really designing efficiently and you're like, we've used every square inch of the plan and we just need a little bit more space. I would say, yeah, probably do that than make the plan bigger. Um, but Flexicore, I think that's a brand name, but that's what we use a lot in our market. Um, done it a handful of times. I'd really recommend it if somebody wants, um, you want a vault area or cold storage or a tornado shelter, um, or you just have like some specific use for a room like that. Um, there can be a lot of, of cool uses for that. But if you're like, we just need a little bit more area, um, it's kind of an expensive time intensive way to get area out of a floor plan. Right. Um, so it's, it's not crazy though. I wouldn't have any problems with it. Um, the engineering wise has all fi been figured out. Um, but yeah, it's just not, um, it's not super cost effective. No. Thoughts on insulated concrete form homes, worth it, costs, and challenges. Um, I love ICF homes. If I had were building and had a limited budget or just had unlimited flexibility in the size of the plan I could build, I'd probably opt for ICF over <laughs> square footage, actually. Um, I think it's an awesome system. It makes a ton of sense. They're dead quiet. Um, insulation and air barrier-wise are awesome. Um yeah, it's a cost, even with, you know, you heard all the, the stuff about lumber going up and up and up over the last couple of years, even when lumber was at its peak, ICF was still higher and lumber has dropped some now. Um, so I would say it's not, sorry, I haven't seen direct pricing on that. I want to say in the 50 grand range for my market, 
Um, but I could be totally off on that. So forgive me. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, but I love the idea of it. Um, actually, for design challenges, there weren't many. I didn't have to make too many considerations. Obviously, the exterior wall, all three levels, so basement, first, and second floor, is way thicker than, um, well, the basement's the same, typically. Um, but the first and second floor walls are a lot thicker than what I normally would draw. Um, so from that design consideration, you know, you have extra square footage in that and we had to pay attention to that. But other than that, there's not really a, anything design wise needed to design around. Um, they make these joist hangers that go straight into them, um, which is fine. So you can really use any joist type. Um, then all your interior bearing is the same, whether that's steel or two by walls, you know, it's, um, yeah, uh, that's what I would go with. Best recommendation for windows on living on Lake Superior, Duluth windows cost, not an issue. Um, so if cost is truly not an issue, you'll want triple pane. Um, so most of the window manufacturers in the United States get their glass from a company called Cardinal glass. Um, and every window manufacturer calls this something different, but, um, I think Anderson calls it smart sun. So that's another coating you can get on the window that actually affects its U rating, which is pretty cool. So you can get triple sun, triple pane and the smart sun U rating. Um, but also, so you're in a region where um, you actually want to bring in radiant heat through solar radiation, believe it or not, um, because you're heating your home much more than you're cooling it. Um, so you will want um, the shgc that's solar heat gain coefficient you actually want a relatively high one um for that i would check first thing i'll check sorry i'm rambling but the very first thing i would check is the energy star map um for your climate zone and then what window the ma manufacturers rep recommend for that climate zone i think it's six or seven it might be five um one of those but the window manufacturers will then match windows to your climate zone. Um, that's definitely where I'd start. But most of those windows will have like the solar heat gain coefficient for windows around my area is usually around 0.3. So 30% of the solar radiation being let in. Um, an energy star northern window is usually around 0.5. So you're letting in more heat so that the sun is helping heat your home through the winter. Um, yeah. But um, triple pane. And then um, you can also look up, oh, forgive me. I'm forgetting what it's called right now. Design pressure ratings. Okay. So the DP rating on a window, design pressure. Um, windows aren't rated for air leakage. I'm not really sure why. Um, either they're not required to or window manufacturers haven't figured out a good way to quantify it. I don't really know. Um, but the window manufacturers do make a design pressure rating. So DP um, or DP rating, which will rate the design pressure the window is rated for um, uh, in PSI, I believe. So the higher that rating, you can generally assume the more airtight a window may be. It's not a guarantee. Um, that's not what they're rating the window for. Um, but it's something that I would at least look into, especially you just mentioned 80 mile an hour winds off Lake Superior. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Lake Superior could be nasty. Um, 
so yeah, I would look into getting something with a higher design pressure rating on it. Um, and just look at it. All this stuff is public info. All window manufacturers have this on their sites. So you can just go to Anderson or Pella or whoever you're going to use Marvin, whatever. Um, and look it up right now. Uh, and, um, yeah, just pay attention to those. Um, good questions to ask your, um, window contractor as well. Um, make sure you talk through all that stuff. So, um, if you have any questions on this, I will be posting this as a podcast. The podcast is builder versus buyer for those of you on TikTok. So you can always subscribe and come back to this episode and it will be up for forever or as long as the internet exists. Is there a big difference between double hung sliding and casement windows? I assume you mean in performance. Um, yes. Energy wise. Okay. Good question. Um, so typically you'll see the air leakage is a little bit less on a casement window because you have a physical mechanism that's tightening the, all the joints of that window. So when you crank a casement window closed, then there's that little lever that really shuts it. And that's shutting the seal on all the sides of the window together. Whereas a, whether it's a single hung or a double hung, they have a mechanism that puts some force behind it. You know, those little latches that, um, kind of, you know, torque in and it pushes the window down further but that's only pushing the seal on the very bottom edge and a double hung window you still have seals all the way around that window um so you're gonna get a little less air leakage as far as the window itself the actual glass and the window unit um there's mild very mild differences it's i think it's in testing on how they they um perform like the u rating of them um and you can look, look that up Always the best are picture windows, actually. So I love picture windows because they're the cheapest and they're the best energy performance. Obviously, there's very little to no air leakage. And then um, the thermal performance is best because there's less joints in them and all that. Um, but yeah, casement windows will be the top as far as air leakage goes, but not much difference as far as the insulating value of the unit itself. Hope that was helpful. Well, I got to get rolling. I got to do some dishes. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thanks to the, those of you for threw some questions out there. Um, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I look forward to doing more of these in the future. And if you have any questions that I didn't get to, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or um, just comment on one of my TikToks, uh, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, TikTok, Instagram is Burnham Design Co. B-I-R-N-A-M Design Co. The others, Adam Steiner. Oh, YouTube is Burnham Design Co. as well. Um, the others is my name, Adam Steiner. So thanks again for watching. And um, yeah, I hope you guys all have an awesome week. <laughs>